This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Good to be back. You doing well? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, avoiding the Twitter trolls, uh, dodging them all, watching good wrestling instead. <laughs> and we've got uh, a great show to talk about here. I think Rev Pro are back in a big way here. Oh yes, I. I so I was at this recent uprising show, which is what we're going to lead the show off with. Um, uh, you weren't. You you've seen it on demand though. I have. Um, so we've got two nice different perspectives there. But I came away from this show so excited to talk about wrestling and as good as some ref pro shows have been in the past i don't think i've ever come away from a show that excited to talk about it just top to bottom as i have with this one it felt i had the same kind of excitement that i did when i come away from a wxw world tag league that, mm-hmm. that's that's the level which is high praise if you've you've heard us talk about them in recent episodes so i guess we'll we'll go straight into it i've kind of straight away thrown out that I absolutely love this show. What were your overall thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a better top-to-bottom card than RevPro usually put on, and that's no slight to the cards they usually put on, but I thought like every single match, even on the undercard, had a lot of stakes to it, and there were a lot of big moments that weren't convoluted. They were big moments as a result of the match that had just taken place. I said that, like... There were at least half a dozen moments where it was like the biggest win of that guy's career or like the biggest loss of uh, that team's career in Aussie Open. Like all of the results, uh, like from the third match onwards, felt really significant. And they built a lot of their own guys through those results. It was a, a big day for El Fantasmo, big day for MK McKinnon, and it felt really natural. And the way the crowd got behind them felt really natural. It, it, they didn't have to force it with gimmicky angles. It was just straight up, we like this wrestler because they won a cool match. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I really came away from this show in terms of the booking was they really did a great job of making everything feel really meaningful all the way through the card. Like, a common criticism of Rev Bro and a justified criticism, in my opinion, is that for the first half of the show, you're kind of just waiting to get get to those matches with the New Japan guys, and that's where stuff starts mattering. Everything felt like it mattered on this show. Everything had a purpose, and everything paid off. or Well, it either paid off, or it set up something, and everything mm-hmm. felt satisfying. It wasn't... You're not setting up the next feud by, you know, screwing over the ending of the previous one. You're getting a conclusive ending to one feud, and then you're moving on to the next one, and it's exciting where they're going. You're getting, you know, things come to a head, and it fe- it felt important this show, Definitely, right, yeah. through, all the way through. And that's it, it. Sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do. Especially, I think in general, it's quite easy to make main events feel important, but 
managing to make a whole card feel important is is very impressive and i think they they absolutely aced it i i came away from this show thinking this is the best rev pro show that they've ever put on um yeah it'd be it'd be difficult to find like a top to bottom show that was better i mean obviously some of the ones during the aj styles run were were very lit as the kids say but <laughs> are we just remembering like the biggest matches on those shows and forgetting the undercards because this was through and through very very good and <laughs> Yeah, my, I do remember them very fondly, but um, I actually went back and looked at some of those cards, and they usually go about three or four matches deep, Yeah. where I thought this this show went six matches deep quite comfortably, and then even the, the two matches that the show opened up with, um, they, they had their, their own importance. Um, so, you know, we, we've kind of mentioned it, so we'll start from the, the beginning of the show. It did start off quite slowly. The first two matches on the show, they weren't blow away, and everyone, everyone there was kind of like, "Oh, is this just the you know the normal Rev Pro show? Yeah. Takes a while to get going, and then you know after intermission, um, it it starts kicking off, and you start getting great matches." Wasn't the case, but uh, so the opener was uh, Tai Chi Chris Brooks, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so that, that's right, isn't it? You are, yeah. You remember correctly. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was that or the Great Okan match, but that was second, wasn't it? Um, it was. It was very much a Tai Chi match, and I'm not really a Tai Chi guy. There, mm. there, there was nothing. Well, there there were things wrong with it, but it wasn't offensively bad or anything. But it was crowd brawly. It was, you know, it was. When you think of indie work rate. Which you know is always you don't a, think of Tai Chi. She's <laughs> always a term you kind of do in inverted commas because it's kind yeah, of yeah. groan inducing. But we all kind of know what we mean when we say it. Tai Chi's kind of the opposite. Is you know he would he would weirdly almost fit in in like a territory era. He's that kind of like Japanese heel type guy. And, you know it was it was fine. It wasn't terrible, but you know it was. It was fairly basic. It was all built around Tai Chi cheating, which is kind of just what you get with him. Um, and then it kind of ended. Um, although the the, th- the finish, we kind of touched upon that um, there were a lot of clean finishes on this, this show, and that, that's what helped made it. They got the one non-clean finish right at the beginning here, mm-hmm. but it was fine because it wasn't much of a match anyway. So, you know, if you're going to, like quote-unquote spoiler match you may as well do it to one that's not too special to set up something that people are more interested in so um taichi won this match when he was gonna hit uh brooks with his little mic stand gimmick um when the ref was down uh osprey runs in which you know y- your first thought is oh cool that's a feud they're gonna continue then taichi and osprey they're they're keeping the continuity going there um he I think he pulls the mic stand away from um, Tai Chi, then goes to hit Tai Chi with it. Tai Chi ducks, hits Brooks. Uh, Osprey gets thrown out the ring, and Tai Chi pins him. And they just, they just, and I thought it was really neat that they've used this New Japan continuity that they're very much a part of these days, and they've kind of just used it very fluidly. Doesn't feel forced at all. Just to slide straight into the next Rev Pro feud, which is going to be uh, Brooks versus. 
uh, Osprey because after the match they kind of did the Osprey apologizes to Brooks. Brooks says, "Oh, don't worry, it's fine. You did it by accident." Osprey turns his back, and Brooks lays him out from behind, um, obviously setting up the feud there. Um, what do you think of this this angle overall? Yeah, I, I did like that they used the Taichi Osprey feud uh, to further their own one and set set Brooks up for something a lot more meaningful than this. Um, and yeah, the angle definitely worked, and the end of the match worked, but getting there was a, a, a strain, to say the least. Um, I've legit nearly gone five stars on a Taichi match before, but that was after like significant setup during his Noah run. He's, you know, he's not a guy who you can just bring in for a match and it'll be good usually and if you parachute in on Taichi you usually get burned um, and that was kind of the case here but at least they used him wisely to, and Brooks doesn't really lose anything losing in such a, a, a rubbish manner um, and also I enjoy Osprey playing his real life character of well-meaning but dumb uh, <laughs> to set this match up yeah, yeah that's, that's perfect that is yeah <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, yeah, quite apt, quite apt. Um, yeah, Taichi's definitely a guy who works best when he's in the longer-term story. Is it, you know, it's not always a hundred percent hit rate when he when he's in that situation, but it's he's definitely not, you know, your your one-off bring-in for a super match guy. That's that's not no. him, um, and that's kind of what the position he was kind of put in here. But it it ended up working because it was going towards a storyline that he has previously set up with Osprey prior to the injury. Um, so yeah, it was it was fine. Um, and especially as, as an opener, where the purpose was to set up a future feud, I've got no no issue with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we had Great Khan in his uh, glorious conti- con- continuation, easy for me to say, of his winning streak. Are you enjoying Great Rakan so far, Rob? Um, I'm enjoying Lord Gideon Gray. He's he's perfect as a manager, isn't he? Oh, I mean, I mean, enjoying seeing his attempts to uh, make his head pop off every night. Like he, he where for the last few years, well, I guess. Well, blimey, it makes you think. Yeah, how long so, been doing this we've show. been at this for a while, um, haven't we? But you know, the the last what five years or so, yeah. We've every time a Lord Gideon Grey match has come up, we're always like, well, it's built really well because he's an amazing talker and he's he's a great character and he he really pops off the screen and he commits to it so hard, and then he gets in the ring and you're like, yeah, it doesn't really fit for Rev Pro. Now he's in the manager role. Perfect. It's perfect, yeah. Perfect. And he is him as a manager for a monster is absolutely, you know, it's his niche and he absolutely nails it. Um, you notice we haven't talked about the match much. Um, that's because it was kind of just any great Okan match, wasn't it? Yeah, he's 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 getting there. I'm in. I'm enjoying him to a certain extent, but yeah, his matches are not the most diverse <laughs> of any wrestlers' matches ever. Um, but that's not what he's here to do, really. He's here to get over his character work, and it's getting somewhere. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm buying into it, if only because of Gideon Gray. It is one of those things where, like. In terms of his in-ring, he's very formulaic and the formula isn't great to begin with. It's, it is basically classic 1980s 
Japanese slash Mongolian monster. You know, yeah. he's, he's got the chops, he's got the the claw. Um, his his finisher looks quite good, um, but there's no dynamism there really. But they are with the winning streak. You know, it's very simple booking. A monster comes in and you give him a winning streak. It's not you know, it's not reinventing the wheel or anything, but it's effective. Um, and he's getting over like as a as a threat and you do get the impression that you know maybe three or four months from now he'll you know he'll be working his way towards a title match or something and hopefully at that point he get he brings in the dynamism a bit more but they they built him to a degree that even though you know his matches aren't great and when you think of rev pro the people who are over are usually the guys having the great matches because mm-hmm. that's just the sort of promotion it is but they've just kept winning with him uh the presentation it's starting to grow on most people, I think. Um, when you first, when everyone first saw it, it was a bit of a, this is a, an interesting choice type deal. But it, it looks, it looks kind of ma- it, it, it looks major league. You, you've got to give that to him. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a bit like evil. Once you've gotten used yeah, to it, uh, you, can, you can get down with it. Uh, I wish I hadn't announced the dead on arrival <laughs> when he first came out because uh, I may have prematurely killed him. Uh, but yeah, he's he's getting somewhere with it. I'm willing to let it play out. Um, and Gideon Gray keeps it interesting while it does play out. Um, but yeah, it's it's different. <laughs> Not all good, but it's enjoyable. Yeah, I. It's got me interested just enough that I'm cautiously optimistic yeah. for when he does step it up the card. Yeah. And that's weird to say when he has had already had matches with like Strickland and stuff. But, like, ho- hopefully it does get to the point where he is, like, he's challenging, um, l- let's say he wrestles, like, an Osprey or something, and then that will be interesting to see really what he can do, because I mm-hmm. imagine at that point he is going to, you know, turn from basic monster that kind of just squashes people with very basic moves to let's see what I can do now that I've built up that or- this aura. Um, what One positive thing... He seems to have learned how to walk down steps without having to to move up his little flannel, <laughs> um, which is you know a vital you know that's what the excursion is for. You, oh you, yeah, you can't be uh, the entrance. walking down the the Tokyo Dome steps. Well, the, it's more a ramp, but you can't be uh, going down there and having to pull up the mask so you can see where your feet are going. But uh, you know he's he's got that down now. He can look downwards, but also look forwards. It's it, it it's it's amazing what the um, spending six months in the UK can do for you. It's it's truly inspirational how the uh, New Japan excursion system works. It's just genius. <laughs> um, now moving on to the goods part of the show, and you know it's three matches in, and for me from here on out it was great match after great match, and you know <laughs> I'm a grumpy in general. I'm pretty grumpy with my wrestling, as I'm sure you can attest. So. When I'm saying six matches in a row are delivering, then uh, Ref Pro must be doing something right. Um, so we had Ridgeway, who, you know, obviously I'm always biased. He's my boy. Uh, he's my child, despite <laughs> me. Um, versus Bodum. In a match that was... This was stiff. Like, I'm not sure how, how much it would have come across on the VOD, but, like, these two... Right from the get-go, with pretty much every strike, we're absolutely levering each other. Yeah, this is the real British strong style right here. <laughs> yeah. This was uh, 
you know, people not necessarily getting along with Bowden brilliantly. So every match he works having to be uh, a little yeah, it's great. It's like a real fight. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Like he has some of the best uh, forearm strikes in wrestling, just because he, you know, it, it almost looks like he just isn't working them. He's just laying them in completely. It's brilliant. Um, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying Josh Bodum right now. Uh, he's definitely, like, they made him step up to heavyweight, and he certainly sort of deserves that aura now, because the matches he's been putting on recently are pretty brutal, <laughs> and the character, how much of it is character, how much of it is real life, is genuinely hateable. So it's... the performance of Bodum, regardless of what it is in real life or not, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> You have these two just, like, absolutely beating the hell out of each other, um, kicking the hell out of each other, forearming the hell of each other. I'll tell you what this match felt like. This felt like a Noah the Reborn match. Mm. It, yeah, it, I get that. It like, was that level. <laughs> January 2017, when they just go hell for level. It, it's a shame that stopped, although for their own health, maybe it's not. But uh, it, it was... It just had a level of intensity and a level of ferocity that you're not really used to in, in Britpress. Um, not since, like... I guess Fight Club Pro before it became what it is now. Mm, um, when it was back in the fiction, and even well, before, before that fiction, in the planet, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the planet, and it was it was Sammy Callahan coming in, um, and uh, Trent Seven before he was, like, working his twee gimmick, um, doing, you know, just basically brawling um and just being hard hitting and brutal and it yeah. you know <laughs> back, yeah, there's no silly bollocks the here. Like, they weren't messing around and no. that is generally what we like to see obviously we have room for comedy we have room for you know the larking around but you know yeah that when it comes shit. to york hall it's serious business <laughs> and we like that you know they're putting on that performance but it is serious business and you know tucking in the strikes, making everything feel really physical. It's something you can really get behind, and I think the crowd were really behind Ridgeway here, and when Bowden won, it didn't feel like an anti-climax. It felt like, damn, this guy is frustratingly good. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was, there was just enough, like, there was enough there where you felt like, oh, Ridgeway kind of, like, got... Not got robbed because Bodum didn't really cheat or anything. It was just Bodum came away and you kind of felt, wow, he's won that. But Ridgeway feels absolutely his equal, mm. and Bodum just kind of got lucky because he he caught him in the ropes at the right time and that set up perfectly for his bliss buster. Uh, and he, you know, he, it took a, a tombstone on the apron, um, but through the rest of the like, Ridgeway definitely didn't lose anything from this match. Yeah, it felt like it could have gone either way the whole way through and just Bodum got the last word in. And the visual of the... Might not have been a broken nose, but definitely a bloody nose just added to the whole order <laughs> too. I, uh, oh, absolutely. I, this I was violent this as all hell. Um, Very this enjoyable. Was, this might be my favourite Bodum match, and that's saying something because I enjoy Bodum. So, yeah, that's high praise for both guys, and they... Uh, they absolutely delivered, and the crowd responded as such, which was good to see because it it feels like it's been a while since you've had two non-New Japan guys go, going at it in Rev Pro at a York Hall show and getting a great reaction, mm -hmm. and that's kind of going to become a, a pattern here. It feels like 
after quite a while of this not being the case, they finally got their their like core roster over to a degree yeah. that, if not at the same level as the New Japan guys, it's comparable, and that's fine because the New Japan guys were always going to have like the special attraction vibe. But for a long time, it was they were the only people over. Whereas now it's the we've got our home guys and we love them, and then we've got these cool people getting added to the roster too. And that's that's so much better than we've got these home guys that we're gonna sit through until the new Japan guys get here and wrestle the one <laughs> guy on the roster we actually care about or something. Um, and that that's that was something I really took away from this show as a real positive. And it's gonna be interesting to see the next York Hall show to see if that was just this one crowd or if that's gonna be a pattern moving forward. I really hope it's the latter. Yeah. Why do you think that was that these guys had now gotten over where, where previously, even like a couple of months ago in the last York Hall show, it was maybe wasn't the case? I think I think a part of it is just time in the Yeah. Guys like Ozzy Open and, and you know, being well booked. I think Ridgeway's been well booked since he's started. Um Bodum has been well booked for the last, what, six months or so, um, if not further back from that. Aussie Open's been really well booked. Uh, El Fantasmo has been really well booked. Um, and these are all guys who two years ago weren't even on the Rev Pro roster at all. And it's just taken them a while to get over. Um, and then it's probably also a combination between that and the fact that this wasn't a Bullet Club, club show how yeah. some of the York Hall shows have been. Um, and at those shows, it is a different crowd. You get people there for the Bullet Club, where it felt here you got... Maybe not all Rev Pro fans, but, like, you got the sense that people there followed Rev Pro, as as opposed to when, you know, the, the Elite... Well, that show with, like, Skirl and the Bucks not too long ago. Yeah, we straight up just didn't cover that one <laughs> last <laughs> December. Just because, one, we were busy, and two, just no. It, it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision, I don't think. It yeah. was just kind of... it. We weren't, like, fired up to come talk about it or anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, being like, seeing that crowd, you did get the sense that, like, these people don't follow Britress, or if they do, they maybe follow Progress. Um, just Progress, I mean. Um, yeah. And, like, they were there for the Elite, and they kind of just sat through um, Rev Pro, the Rev Pro matches, whereas here it was more of a Rev Pro crowd. Um, but at the same time, there have been other shows like, you know, I think even Summer Sizzler, which was, you know, a show made up predominantly of Rev Pro guys. They weren't, like, the retro guys weren't this over, so it, it will be something to keep an eye on to see if it's uh, progressed. Um, and I guess you can quite nicely transition this into the El Fantasmo-El Desperado match, where, you know, El is a guy that almost exclusively has been built up in, in Rev Pro. You know, he's he's not been in progress or anything like that. He he hasn't had any, you know, Rev Pro is his, his home, really. It's his most high-profile gig. And... He's gone from a guy who was, you know, a, a solid flippy guy who not many people knew to a guy who's really over in Rev Pro and they've, they've given him the British Jacob. Um, he's delivering strong matches and, you know, it's it's led to a strong crowd reaction. And that's great to see. And this was um, a great win for him to get here and a really good match. 
Yeah, this is what I was talking about when I was saying, talking about the guys who had their biggest wins ever. This definitely felt like a... It, it was amazing to think that he, he beat a, a relatively low guy in Suzuki-gun who has been beaten in RevPro before, but the, <laughs> just the crowd reaction to Phantasmo made him come off like a major star. There was that kid wearing all his gear, and like the lady in the background like holding her phone, and it had like ELP scrolling across <laughs> it, which I was very amused by. <laughs> Like, that just kind of made him feel really, really big uh, when he was celebrating with them at the end of the match. Um, And the crowd, like, gave him a standing ovation. Um, This felt like a a really big win for him, and they've had had some tough luck with the J-Cup, with the crappy crowd, and obviously Rich Swan muddling things up, and, you know, that that was less luck and (laughs) more judgment, but... um, this was finally, like, the win that El Fantasmo needed to get over to that next level, which maybe he was getting a bit engulfed by David Starr during their feud. Whereas after this one, I think they can go back to that match and have Fantasmo feel the equal of Starr on this kind of stage, and people will be really behind him. Yeah. Um, one of the things of having, like, it's often cited as a negative, and I think, you know, reasonably so, that... A lot of the matches between the UK guys versus the New Japan guys almost feel like a foregone conclusion because the New Japan guys win so many of them. Yeah, but, but it Desperado, does mean... they can beat, and he, they beat him like a drum. <laughs> yeah, this is true. But it does mean when you do have the, the New Japan guy lose and a, and a UK, well, we're calling Phantasmo a UK guy, you know, a guy based, yeah, in, the UK guy based in the UK finally get, get the win, it feels like a huge deal. Um, oh, absolutely. Even if it is, you know, no disrespect, but just El Desperado, who's, you know, hardly the, the high guy in the totem pole in New Japan. But it, it felt like a big deal because yeah. this was this was a homegrown Rev Pro guy and he's now got the win over um, a New Japan star. And, you know, you can kind of probably count on one hand the amount of people who've done that. And it puts yeah, El Fantasma up there. The atmosphere when a New Japan guy loses in RevPro is always very cool to be a part of. Um, so yeah, while obviously the politics does get in the way of the booking sometimes, it really didn't feel like it at all on this show. Like every the losses that UK-based guys sustained felt logical and only enhanced their stories, or, or like at least ended their stories in a satisfying way. And this win felt like a big deal. Yeah. So moving on, was it? Was it the Volta match next or the MK match? It was the Volta match next, I believe. Okay. We can talk about that one next, even if it wasn't. Um, this was another, you know, I've said it, all the matches from now on were really good, but this was another, like, really strong match. Again, hard-hitting as hell. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like I say this fairly regularly, but that's just because they keep getting louder and louder. But Kojima might have the perfect chest to chop, because <laughs> I don't think I've heard a louder chop than when Volta was chopping Kojima. Like, previously it was Ishii. I think Kojima might have even been a step above that. There's something about these these meaty Japanese lads' chests, that they, they the perfect acoustics. Um, it, it's great stuff. Um, yeah, these two worked super hard, um, sold really well. Um, although, you know, so at some level they were hitting each other that hard that maybe it wasn't even selling. Um, but, you know, they... Really compelling selling, um, and it was a real shame that the finish ended up as muddled as it mm. was because this was well on track to be a, a, a really you know great match. 
yeah, Kojima out of the the dads is the guy who can still go at that really tippy top level. I feel, mm-hmm. um, and he he proved it here. He was definitely on fire for this one because he doesn't really have much to do in Japan anymore. Um, they don't really give him any big matches, so this was kind of his big match for like this six month block of the year, um, and he made the most of it. Definitely, he was selling his ass off for Walter, you know, chucking himself round the ring putting it together really well, and yeah, I don't know what happened, but the wheels did kind of fall off in the last couple of minutes, maybe they got confused a bit, um, and think, got lost. I think from reading a, a Kojima tweet, um, yeah. using the, the very dodgy uh, Japanese um, translation that yeah. you get on Twitter, I think Kojima said he got injured, mm-hmm. um, or that he got hurt during the match, uh, so they it looked like they kind of had to rush to the finish, because... Uh, for those who haven't seen the match, Kojima, like, does a move, they both get up to their feet, they kind of go head-to-head and have a very, very thinly-veiled thinly veiled conversation, um, and then Kojima, without having taken a move, then just randomly staggers back into the corner, uh, that looked very dodgy, and then they kind of, within the next 30 seconds or so, uh, Kojima kind of hits a Larry out of nowhere, yeah. and... You know, that's the finish, um, which was a shame because it was really good up to that point. Um, yeah. The crowd was very confused because it you weren't quite sure what had happened. Was someone injured? Um, it almost looked like Volta kicked out um, of the, the free count. So it was like, was that not meant to be the finish? Who knows? But um, up to that point, another really strong match. Yeah, uh, Walter losing is obviously a, a fairly hot topic, I suppose, and what with yeah. uh, WWE, WXW rumours swirling. Um, it does kind of feel like his run in RevPro is a bit of a an exhibition match, getting his stuff with the New Japan guys while he still can. Um, that's at least my feelings on it. It's a real shame because it felt like they had something really special with him when he, yeah. he came in, booted Ishii in the face and stared down Suzuki. And then since then, he's lost a tag match, he's lost to Ishii, and now he's lost to Kojima. And I might be missing out another loss there somewhere as well. Like, it's it hasn't quite panned out the way we thought it would when he he stormed out at at Super Strong... uh, Not Super Strong Style, at Strong Style Evolved. Um, But the matches have been good. But, you know, it it hasn't quite had the storyline impetus you'd have hoped. Yeah, they got one main event out of him, and the big angle that Strong Style evolved, and that's pretty much that. <laughs> yeah, when, like, if you'd have asked us, like, would you put a bet on, um, uh, on Volta Suzuki happening for the title? Yeah. All of us would have take, bitten your hand off for that bet, and yet, obviously, didn't happen. Um, if you'd have, you know, he was probably the guy most of us, at that point in time, thought would be the next Rev Pro champ. Champion, actually. Yeah, um, it definitely looked like that was the way they were building it. Even if he wasn't going to be Ishii there, it seemed like they were going to make him a permanent part of the main event picture. But plans change, Rob, in this ever-evolving world that we live in. I'm not sure he's even won a match since then in, in Rev Pro. So uh, there you go, I guess. But, you know, the the match was good until the, the slightly dodgy ending. Yeah. Um, and then we had bread vandalism as well. Oh, this was this was horrific. <laughs> I hate I hate death matches, so I didn't enjoy this. 
It's it's certainly one way of setting up the match, uh, stomping on a loaf of, of Hovis. Um, other brands are available. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bodum announcing he's moving up to heavyweight, I felt like it you know, it doesn't really mean anything in the UK, but it it was a nice symbolic moment for Bodum that he has sort of transitioned up to the card a little bit and isn't just sort of RevPro's mascot now and is going to be a, a serious contender moving forward. And I assume, I I mean, you, ne- you can never be sure with RevPro, but I think he may well beat Kojima and set himself up potentially for a, a big main event with Ishii in, in 2019. But that's just speculation, obviously. Yeah, a big, big rematch, because he, uh, he lost yeah. to Ishii a few years ago. That'll be, yeah, uh... and that was a, a really hot match back then, and, you know, Bodum's only improved since then. Yeah. Ooh, that, that that would be really good. I'd uh, I'd look forward to that. Assuming Ishii still loves the belt by then, because he could... Of course, of course. Could could lose it on January, fo- January 4th, um, yeah. which we will get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> overall, this angle, it was... It was a bit naff, but in a slightly charming way. I mean, Kojima's a bit naff, so it was. This is true. This <laughs> the is bread true. club, the bread club bit is 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 over in Europe, so it, yeah. you, you can lean on it. <laughs> it was as long as the match isn't centered around bread, I'm fine. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you know, we, you're slightly worried because it could, it definitely could be centered around bread, um, but. I uh, I thought as as just a way of setting up the match, it it was okay. I'd have probably preferred a little, something a little more serious with um with with Bodum, but um, if they are planning to build him as a, a real serious threat in the division, but uh, as long as he if he goes on to lose the match, then maybe you'll look back on it and kind of go, that was your way of setting him up for a for a big deal, have him come out, stand on some bread, and then lose to a an older guy, that's that's maybe not the way you should have mm. gone, but uh, if he wins the match, then all will be forgotten. Of course. Assuming I'm there just, is a match. I'm just thinking about all the loaves of bread that must have been confiscated by the York Hall security. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I bet they uh, brought in... Um, I bet a fair amount was was brought. Oh. Sorry, just slightly distracted by Rotarski almost hitting a nine data in the background. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> my, uh, my, the other side of my personality, aside from yeah. wrestling, popping out. Um, Darts is wrestling. I, I mean, it's it's far better. They they have entrances and titantrons and everything. It's, they don't have titantrons, unfortunately, but they oh, should. Okay. They should. <laughs> um, and then we had MK McKinnon versus Mike Bailey in yet another great match and. Um, I'd put this right up there with the um, the Bowdoin Ridgeway match for the, mm-hmm. the the best match of the night at that point. Um, this again was super hard hitting. Um, McKinnon looked great, um, and I think that's kind of become a, a pattern in the last month or so. He's really like he's back a hundred percent, and yeah. he he is he's shaken off some of that rust that he had at first when he came back, and just looks like you know. A really good wrestler and he was in there with Mike Bailey another really good wrestler they mesh really well and McKinnon got a big win that felt really important it's it's simple booking but it's it's good booking you bring in someone with some star cachet and you put him against McKinnon who came in you know he wasn't not overcoming in but by the end of the match he was a lot more over especially that 
you know, the match was great and they gave him the win. Um, it's it's exactly what I want from Brit Rest, and it's yeah. you know so rarely what we get, but. This show was. This show felt like it was for us, you know. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I'm so happy that McKinnon has like refound his form, refound the groove that he was in pre first retirement that he had. Um, and yeah, like he's shaken off that rust. It took quite a while because he was only you know getting booked sporadically in Fight Club Pro, which was you know basically his home promotion. Although Revpro did use him a lot in his first run in 2013 and 2014, and like. Andy Andy Key re- refers to that on the commentary a lot, you know, building up that real life story for him. Um, and yeah, he's certainly delivered. The last couple of months, he he had a great match on the TV taping against Bodum, um, in you know, part of that new British strong style division that <laughs> Revpro have with McKinnon, Bodum, and Ridgeway, uh, just levering the hell out of each other. Um, and I, I I enjoyed that he took off the uh, the singlet almost immediately and just wrestled in the trunk part of the singlet for most of the match. Went for <laughs> like, the Masato Yoshino look. He's, he, he doesn't need the singlet anymore. He's gotten rid of the paunch. He's in top shape. It's fantastic to see. MK is back, definitively. And yeah, it was a great win over Bailey, who is one of the best in the world when he gets the chance to prove it. I just wish uh, DDT didn't sit him at the kids' table for 90% of his time there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we moved on to the co-main event. Um, these were legitimately co-main events. They both felt like similar level matches and both felt really important. And it's so nice to see that they were both built up really well, which is not always the case in Rev Pro. A lot of the time it's kind of your dream match type deal. But this felt like well-built, significant matches um, that were going to culminate feuds and that's exactly what happened um you had Aussie Open go up against uh Sabre and uh Sabre and Suzuki don't know why I blanked there briefly uh for the tag titles uh in a match that had basically been built since Mania Weekend where um over Mania Weekend over in where was it New Orleans, New Orleans. there we go yeah. um you had uh, Aussie Open lose to Tanahashi and Juice Robinson, um, and they repeatedly refer back to that on commentary as like a turning point for Aussie Open, and the, 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 they learned a lot from that match. And ever since then, they have gone on a streak of winning, ignoring the the super strong style evolved. Not super. Oh, I keep saying it. <laughs> strong style evolved. Um, damn it, progress! You've you've co-opted Japanese. Um, terms um meanwhile ref pro uh, strong style evolve um <laughs> just bias <laughs> pure bias from rob look we we love our, we love the cuvement um <laughs> i'm a big fan of cuvism um where was i i've thrown myself off oh yeah they, they've gone on a quite the win streak i think it's about eight matches or so one and you can kind of get around the one loss in the mi- middle to uh, Ishimori and Yajiro um, by saying that was a New Japan show that wasn't a Rev Pro show right right um, and they basically they just keep winning and it's amazing if you have a, a team keep winning with no bullshit surrounding it they suddenly feel like a real big deal and they feel like they can win the tag championships mm-hmm. Um, even against, you know, we've referred to it before, the New Japan guys don't lose a lot in Rev Pro. 
Aussie Open came in here, I thought they were winning the titles. They they got me to buy in. And I wasn't upset that they didn't. I'd have quite liked it if they did. But I wasn't upset. And it just felt really satisfying. And it was something I don't think you get in enough in modern wrestling. In that you, ha- you build up a team or a guy to the stage where he feels like a legitimate challenger that could win the belt and then yeah. just loses. Yeah, These uh, days, like we see it. Yeah, we see it in like progress where they they feel like they have to crown a number one contender every show, and then they get the shot the next show, and it just doesn't feel satisfying. Whereas Aussie Open have been clamoring for the title shot for the majority of the year, so it's been a proper journey that we've been on with them, uh, seeing them every every couple of months in the York Hall, seeing their plight, and it all culminated here, and that it meant I was devastated for their loss, and they sold me on that really, really well. Yeah, it's so often these days in wrestling that whenever a guy is built up well, you know it's going to be a title change because they only bother building up the people who are going to win the title well. (laughs) And everyone else, it's just a match that the champion has. So from that, the the title change is a telegraph for a mile away. Here, it was... Suzuki Gun running dominant through the whole of Rev Pro for the last year or so. They've, you know, they've probably on average held one and a half belts constantly, um, holding, you know, with with a brief, a couple of brief ish intermissions. They've held the um, the British Heavyweight Championship for for most of the time, and then obviously they've they've held the the tag championships ever since they beat um, Mustache Mountain earlier in the year. Um, or was that last year? I don't quite remember. Oh, yeah, that was this January. It was just January. So pretty much all year. Um, but coming up against Aussie Open, who have just been on a tear, just winning and winning and winning, they finally get the title match, and they just come up short, but they still gained a lot from this because they went toe-to-toe with um, the... Well, not the Japanese team, because it has Zack, of course, but uh, the Suzuki Gun team, and... It was a really good match, but the thing that really impressed me the most was how well they sold the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, it and, and they didn't do it by doing a heel turn, which so many companies would do. You know, they a, a tag team doesn't win the title, so what else do they have to do but turn on each other? <laughs> um, yeah, but the journey isn't over for Aussie Open here. No, it was... They gave everything, and they just weren't quite good enough because they came up against the best in the world. Yeah. And they were that close because they were that good and afterwards just the way and i'm not sure if you'd have even got to see it on the vod um but as uh zach and suzuki were walking up the ramp away like holding the titles going yeah we've we've retained all the open were just kind of stood on the outside kyle was you know still selling the actual moves but more than that he was selling the loss and like you just got the sense that the loss really mattered to that team. That was an impactful loss for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was like a big brother, little brother vibe they had going on with like Davis, like consoling Fletcher almost, but also needing yes. consoling himself. Yes. It was it, was, it was proper devastating. Yeah, it felt a like, couple of biggest wins of the career for MK and El Fantasmo. This felt like the biggest loss for Aussie Open, but in a good way. Like it got them more over than perhaps if they just won the titles and we'd all gone yay for a bit and then forgotten about it for the main event. This feels like sort of the big news coming out of the show is Aussie Open lost, yes, but we're even more behind them now. <laughs> yeah, it's... 
we keep coming back to it, but it just felt so important and so meaningful. Yeah. And you get that so, re- especially in indie wrestling. Yeah. You get that so rarely with a loss. Like you can make wins feel big, but making a loss feel big is it doesn't happen much. So often a guy will lose the match, roll out the ring, walk up the ramp, and you're not thinking about them at all. Be back selling merch five minutes later. <laughs> exactly. This was yeah. This was just impactful to me as a viewer. Um, Definitely, I got that. I as loved well. it. I loved it. Um, the match itself I, the, was the... very good. Um, I, I didn't. Th- uh, you know, it shows how strong this this show was. That I, <laughs> by the end of the show, it was probably my fourth highest match, but I was still going four snowflakes on it. Um, it towards the beginning. One thing, one slight criticism I would have would be Fletcher's intense face doesn't really work. He just goes duck face, and it, it took me out of it a little bit. I don't know if you caught that at all. Uh, yeah, I would, I didn't have that same criticism, but yeah, <laughs> you saying that, yeah, it it's true, but like you can kind of forgive him that he is still young and still learning on the job, even though he's really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> and but, like it's the a, rest it's a of his performance was really strong. So yeah, that's a nitpick. But um, <laughs> I yeah. would say, and and this match, you know, if it needed any cementing, because I've been singing his praises all year and and previously as well. But Davis really is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Like, like Fletcher, you watched him in this match against some of the best wrestlers in the world in Suzuki and uh, Zach, and you went, yeah, he's probably going to get there at some um someday. He's got great potential, and this was a really good showing for him. Davis, you watched him and go, yeah, he's at the same level as them. Yeah. Which, you know, it you don't get to say too many times with Brit Rest guys because there are only so many best wrestlers in the world in the world. And, you know, you've got, you see that with Osprey, and I think we all spotted that with Osprey. We, we first suspected it when that, that tag match with Two Unlimited, but it was really when he was in the ring with um, Styles, for me, that I really went, yes, this guy is going to be one of the true greats. Um, I got that same vibe with Davis here. He was in there Ooh, with Suzuki, nice. and there was a thought in my mind that Davis might be a better wrestler than Minoru Suzuki. He, you know, that, that, that sounds like sacrilege, yeah. but he might be. He's that good. Uh, yeah, I I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think we can pretty much award Aussie Open the the Britty for best tag team at this point. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Mortal Lock, especially after this match. I I thought this was actually my favorite match on the show. Um, because that energy and I was so with Aussie Open for it, even though knowing they were gonna lose, that almost made me <laughs> root for them harder on VOD. Um, and, you know, we've sung Davis's praises, but I want to sing Carl Fletcher's praises too. I did really enjoy how he set up the dynamic between him and Suzuki early on, going after Suzuki, sort of getting pwned by him early on, and then that is the finish, but he go- goes after Suzuki again, gets beaten, and then Davis is too locked up in uh, a Zack Sabre hold to be able to stop him, and it was it was heartbreaking <laughs> to watch Davis like reaching out to, to the pinned Fletcher and just be unable to reach him. It was very poetic and a, a great visual to end the match on. I think it would have been very easy for that to come off as comedy. 
and yet they did a yeah. great job. Because to, to kind of explain it a bit more, you kind of had, towards the beginning of the match, Fletcher went to knock Suzuki off the, the apron, and Suzuki half no-sold it and just stared him down. And then for the rest of the match, Fletcher was kind of obviously avoiding Suzuki. Yeah. And people were laughing at it, but it, like they were selling it as still part of the competition. Yeah. So it was like part comedy, but also by the time the ending came around you you understood why they were doing that yeah it 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 worked for some laughs but by the end it felt important whereas what could have easily happened was it was you're starting off a serious match with a bit of comedy and i i'm never a huge fan of that but like you know it's you kind of have the comedy chapter of a match and then it, it evolves later into the more serious match where they actually try to win um whereas this it, it all mattered and it it walked right up to that line of going for for just the laughs but instead it was a vital part of the story and it it was great it was great this was you know i in terms of the like in-ring work this was probably like my fourth favorite match on the card but the story like i in terms of just the moves and such. I yeah, put it behind yeah. the the MK match. I put it behind the Bowden match, and I put it behind the main event. But the way they the, the narrative they had they had in it, and the how important they made the match feel, um, really put it over the top for me. Um, yeah, the the emotion was running high in this match, and it definitely made it feel really special and important. Yeah, um, and you know, speaking. Tenuous segue, but vaguely speaking of our favourite matches on this show, um, we got to the main event, and while this was kind of a slow build in the match, this ended up being my favourite match of the show. Um, this was another match where, you know, David Starr, he's kind of a a star across most of the West at this point, but he is someone who has been built up a lot in Rev Pro, specifically, and... They have now got him to a point where he is does not seem at all out of place in the main event, which would have been the case when he first came into Rev Pro. Um, so that's another another plus to the the old Rev Pro booking. They've they've done well there, um, and I was just really impressed by how. And I guess I sh- I shouldn't necessarily be because uh, you know his his iconic feud is with Volta, but. Maybe it's just the, the kind of Rev Pro mindset of he's the cruiserweight champion. Well, he went in there with Ishii and had very much a heavyweight match, and it ruled. It was great. And this was another match where um, they built it up to the degree where there were definitely people in that arena who thought Star was going to win. Um, and he didn't. But, you know, it was it felt like a 50-50 match almost. And it was it was brilliant. It was it was just a brilliant match, and it was it was hard hitting. It was stiff. Um, it was dramatic, and it was just it was just great wrestling. And you know that's it's easy to forget about that with uh, Ishii, but he has had a hell of a year. When you you go back and look at all the matches he's had, it's kind of been backloaded somewhat. But he's had a, got a hell of a, a uh, catalog between his stuff in Europe. Um, he, you know, he had that Hanare match towards the beginning of the year that was brilliant. He had an incredible G1. Like, this is a guy who should be right up there in the conversation for most outstanding. Like, 
he's probably my number two at the moment behind Volta, and there's not that much in it, and that's saying something, because I think since I've started watching wrestling, Volta might be having my favourite year of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, on, on this match, right, certainly RevPro threw their promotional weight behind this match in, in a way that I really appreciated. Um because sometimes they can let their main events sort of slip past you by a little bit, or not feel as important as they could. This one, they really, really wanted to sell you on the idea that this was, you know, one of their biggest matches ever. And, you know, they had the Talking Heads segments, which they littered throughout the VOD, of, like, people weighing up the the Star vs. Ishii matchup, which I enjoyed. Um, you know, they had David Starr cutting the promo, sort of turning into a bit of a Shades of Grey character, which... I did appreciate as well because, you know, going into this, he would be the underdog and it's kind of weird if the heel is the underdog. So at least they let people pick who they wanted to cheer for in this one. Um, and yeah, it felt like a really important matchup for them. And the David Starr character in Rev Pro has been really, really good. And this is coming from a guy who hasn't <laughs> enjoyed David Starr as much as other people have this year for various reasons. And not even because of, you know, the DM culture that some people might have said, like, I don't know, since Carrot, I have kind of been down on his in-ring because of his various overselling exploits at Carrot kind of annoyed me and made him made me sort of hypercritical of him in his matches after after that, if you if you under if you get that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, there was none of that re- here really. Like he was the underdog, so it sort of made sense for him to get bowled over by Ishii a lot, but you know, he he hung around with him and like being tall of an issue definitely helped in that regard, made it feel like a much more even matchup. Um, and yeah, <laughs> they got through everything they needed to get through. The David Starr character felt like it had gotten so big that they needed to give him a, a big main event against Ishii here. Like, this is a match that felt like it needed to happen. And they executed it really, really well. And then they didn't hark on the David Starr loss, they didn't make him, you know, embarrass him and make him slip over like a goof or anything, you know, they got him out of the ring and then hit the next angle, hit the next title match, and David Starr can get his heat back instantly with a promo, and then he can be the Cruiserweight Champion again, um, and set up an, another feud with El Phantasmo, which I think they probably should go to, because mm-hmm. that could be really awesome. Yeah, this was... This was, yet again, They it felt like an important match, and they paid it off by having a great match with no shenanigans. It was just two yeah. guys going at it. David Starr was the clear bad guy. And it, he carried himself with a swagger that got across that he was the bad guy. But he didn't need to cheat in the match. He just had a match. Wasn't quite good enough. Our champion won. <laughs> the champion of the British. The champion of the British, baby. Um, and it was just great wrestling and it's exactly what i want from wrestling it yeah two guys going at each other with a personal grudge going in having a match with no interference no cheating necessary you just have two guys fight one guy comes out the winner and then you move into your next feud and they did a great job setting up the next feud as well um you had suzuki come out and it, you know you kind of no, got it was ta- taichi first oh yeah <laughs> come out first which got some real groans because like oh fuck off we don't want that as the next yeah. main event <laughs> that was and very then suzuki amazing. comes out and he was kind of like well at least it's not taichi but fuck me we've seen that a few match a few times now can we move on from that feud even though the matches have all been pretty damn good um and then while uh, suzuki's got issue distracted on the ramp saber jr comes in from behind i think he popped over from the merch table 
Um, came in, attacked Ishii from behind. They all got in the ring. You know, they uh, four-on-one beat down him with uh, Desperado there too. Um, Suzuki and Ishiban motherfuckers. Um, uh, they're still running Rev Pro, and uh, Zack never got his title rematch from um, when he lost the belt to Ishii, so... He fucking wants the rematch, and he's having it on January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom. What a great way to set up a, a title match. Like, the heel didn't lie, but he's being a bit of a dick by attacking him by, uh, from behind. But he, he's doing it with such a swagger. He doesn't look like a coward. He looks like a badass, but so does Ishii. Um, and what better way to set up a title match? I, I love, I just love this fucking show, man. <laughs> Yeah, this is this was a, a Brit Rest Roundtable special, this show, and capping it off with this angle. So so exciting. Um to have the champion of the British determined in the Tokyo Dome. It's a big deal. I get why people might be cynical about it, but I think you have to really do some mental gymnastics to like paint it as a bad thing in this moment. Maybe next year if both tight both Red Pro titles haven't left New Japan hands we can start to be more critical of it, but right now, you know, I'm just very excited that I will be in the Tokyo Dome watching uh, the British Heavyweight Championship for over in a match that has been built up for, like, two years now. Like, these two guys have defined the title through through this run of, of matches that RevPro have been having, and it feels like they really need this match right now, and <laughs> it's happening in on the biggest stage possible. So, yes, while people will have to spend an extra £7 on, a, on another streaming service to watch the match if, you know, they were only watching RevPro and not well, New Japan. it'll end up on RevPro on demand too. Yeah, but, like, not in, like if they want to watch it live or, like, in the moment. Sure, but, yeah. I, I, I understand that from, like, a, a financial point of view, but also, you know, who's only watching RevPro and not New Japan <laughs> when they're so tightly linked. Like, like I say, you have to be very pedantic to <laughs> to paint this as like a, a solely bad thing. I think it's it's really awesome, and it feels a lot more interesting than any Ring of Honor title match or NWA title match that has happened in the dome <laughs> or a TNA title match. This is like the biggest non New Japan title match in the dome for a long, long time. It, it since might feel bigger in the modern than the, era. the Never match. Because, well, I suppose that probably goes go to Ibushi, which is probably yeah. slightly, but it's it's not that much higher, is it? Like, it's they're probably going to be roughly on par, which, you know... So I will hear the argument, and I understand the, the argument, especially for people who are, are going to all the cockpit shows, who... I can understand the idea that they're not a big fan of the title situation at the moment because they're going to a lot of Rev Pro shows and the only champion there is the Cruiserweight champion. I kind of understand that. Mm -hmm. But I defy you to make the argument that they haven't made both those championships feel really special. Yeah, and it will feel like a major moment when they are taken out of the hands that they're currently in. Mm -hmm. Like, every single title match and tag title match they run now feels like a huge deal <laughs> because it feels like if a champion loses you've witnessed genuine history and not just you know another title being switching hands you know these are protected championships and yes part of that is a political deal but also part of it is just very good booking and exciting booking and very good matches from very good wrestlers so yeah it's 
there's certainly things to unpack about it, but like I'm feeling very positive about it in this current moment. Yeah, um, and you know, to be fair, the the um, the undisputed British Championship has kind of always felt pretty important. But the yeah. tag titles, it wasn't that long ago that we were laughing at the tag titles. They were bouncing between various versions of Joel Redmond plus one, um, Shah Samuels plus one, bouncing back and forth between those teams. No one gave a shit about them. Contrast that to that Aussie Open Suzuki unmatch. Yeah. Like, that's what's happened. And for me too, if if you're gonna have the re- the New Japan relationship where they are winning a lot of their matches, you kind of have two options. You make them champ. If they're gonna be winning a lot, then they kind of have to e- either be champions or they have to almost not be part of storylines. If if they're not part of storylines, it's just yeah. one-off matches um, where it's not like a part of the the championship scene. Because if they're not losing, then they all, if they and they either have to be winning the championships or they they're not really in contention for the championships. They're See, like in their own Pete bubble. Dunn in progress. Right, they're they're in their own bubble to the side. Basically, they're on the shows, but they they almost don't feel a part of the shows. Or yeah. you can kind of have them as the biggest deal on the shows, which to be honest, they are the biggest deal. Like Rev Pro are a promotion that are about. They, when you describe Rev Pro, you almost can't do it without saying New Japan because they mm-hmm. are built around being the New Japan affiliate in the UK, and I think they do a bloody good job of that. And that can, can kind of seem like a a diss of them. I don't mean it that way. I think there's nothing wrong with that, and it sets them apart from other promotions in the UK. And they've, you know, recently they've done a very good job of building up their own guys. And I think it helps to have that as like an ultimate target. You you're building your way for all the UK shows, and then you finally get to face this big Japanese boss in Ishii <laughs> or yeah. or Suzuki or you know Suzuki and and Zach, and it feels important. And it's I don't know I'm I'm really into Rev Pro at the moment, more into it than I've been in, in quite a long time. Um, mm. they, they've had a show... couple of rough months. Since Strong Style evolved, I got it right, <laughs> finally. <laughs> um, like, obviously, the J-Cup wasn't very well received at all. I thought Global Wars, the concept needs to be retired, because that was when you were hearing a lot of negativity about them being the New Japan affiliate, because they had a lot of, as you say, matches where New Japan guys would come in and not feel like part of the show or the canon, and they'd just win and <laughs> without a lot of fanfare. And I thought that wasn't their best foot forward, whereas this... They felt very much part of the show, very much part of the storylines going on, and it felt like when the British guys, or British-based guys, were going up against them, it was their biggest match of their careers, and it was a major moment for them, win or lose. Yeah, I'm, I am I do think that the, the Rev Pro shows at the moment are at their best when there's a few New Japan guys sprinkled in towards the top of yeah. the card, rather than being top to bottom and involved in every match, but... Yeah, you know, there's only so many one-sided feuds you can build up. In that, like, David started a very good at building up his feud with Ishi without Ishi being there. Um, Aussie Open did a very good job of building up their feud 
but you can't have every feud being built up where only half the participants are on shows all the time. Um, this was this was a really good balance. And, you know, to be fair, El Desperado was was in one of the opening matches. Um, Taichi was in the opener. So, you know, it's not like that there are there were that few uh, New Japan guys, but it, it's like when you have when you have a Naito in the second match on the card or something, that's when it, it doesn't work so much. Um, yeah, it feels like overkill at that point, or just like exhibition matches, which you can never get into. Whereas, you know, there, more than half of the matches on this show had New Japan talent on it, but none of it felt like, oh, here's the New Japan match. It felt like every match was driving towards the same purpose. So they did a really good job. This maybe their best ever job of mixing the talent in. Mm-hmm. Exhibition's a really good word for it because it, it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what we mean because, you know, you could you could very easily say what makes the difference between um, Evil and Sonata versus Thatcher and Volta and MK McKinnon versus Mike Bailey. But when you watch that match and you know the build, one is definitely an exhibition match and one just feels like a match in the story of MK McKinnon. Um, And it's hard to define exactly what the difference is, but it's all in feel. Uh, And this show, no match felt like an exhibition. Um, Definitely. Everything had a purpose for being there and pretty much all of it delivered on that purpose. So yeah, um, this for me, as I've kind of started off with and you can probably tell from the the way i've spoke about it i thought this was the best rev pro show ever uh easily the best show this year um there have they've had shows with better matches um but nothing anywhere near close to being as strong top to bottom uh and having everything feel as meaningful uh as what we got here i i absolutely loved it and you know i'll be I imagine I'll probably have some uh, strong, strong uh, opposition from from you in regards to uh, you and Arn in regards to the Britties when we go show of the air. I have a feeling you're going to lean towards uh, Carrot one of those nights. But um, this for me is is my front row for sh- runner for show of the year. Yeah, this is definitely going to be in my contention list of maybe like three or four shows I've got my eye on thinking about it. And, I mean, the Britties are coming up. It's exciting, Rob. We've only got about a month until uh, Rapidly we must decide who has done the best this year. Make the definitive decisions. Yes. Um, I was about to segue into... Speaking of a show that could be very good, but it's it's a fairly flimsy segue, but, you know, it's, it's done now. Um, we're going to talk about uh, WXW's Broken Rules show, which is mm-hmm. coming up. Well, at time of recording this weekend, so it will have just happened um, by the time this this show gets released. But I imagine the vast majority of you won't have seen it. Uh, Hence, we're actually going to bother doing the preview. Uh, It might not even be out by the time this show comes out. So hopefully this isn't a waste of time. Um, (laughs) We've got the main event, uh, a street fight between Ilya Dragunov and PCO. Uh, I'll just run through the whole card uh, first, and then we'll kind of give some overall thoughts. Um, we've got a contenders match uh, with the winner facing the unified champion. We've got Absolute Andy versus Bobby Guns. Um, we've got the women's championship match that was uh, kind of built up 
over World Tag Team League uh, weekend. Uh, Tony Storm versus Melanie Gray. I mean, it goes a bit bit before that, but uh, we've got a, a really fun-looking uh, freeway match for the tag titles with uh, JFK going up against the Arrows of Hungary and Coast to Coast. Um, we've got Ring Camp Explodes, um, Tim Thatcher versus Volta. We've got a freeway between Audrey Bride, who's back, uh, Chris Wolf and Killer Kelly. Um, we've got Avalanche and a mystery partner due to uh, Julian Nero's injury going up against The Crown, which is the uh, the tag team name of uh, Jörn Simmons and Alexander James. And then finally, we've got a huge battle royal but um, f- with the winner getting a Next Step Wrestling Championship match. Um, and looking at this graphic, it doesn't have any names. One guy looks like Homicide, but I don't think is Homicide. <laughs> and um, other than that, I don't really know any of them. Yeah, th- I think whenever they go to Dresden, they get all the next step guys in the in the Euro, yeah, Washbands and uh, that guy with one eye that we saw at Wrestling Deutschland. All those guys, um, I think they just chuck them on there. And like, I, I think, um, why am I blanking on his name? But Washbaren, <laughs> what's his name? I wasn't at Wrestling Deutschland, so I don't know. <sighs> the rest of the raccoon guy. <laughs> uh, someone's going to be killing me in the comments. But, um, yeah, he won it. He won that Battle Royal last time, and he got, like, a shotgun title match. Um, but, yeah, I, that's just an excuse to get all the Next Step guys on there whenever they're in Dresden. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Who is the Next Step Wrestling Champion? I have no idea. It might be the Wash Baron. I'm probably saying that wrong as well. I'm failing miserably here. Um, when you type in Next Step Wrestling Champion, Killer Kelly comes up. <laughs> I don't think that's right. Um, let's see. Well, that title history stops in 2014. Mm. Um, I don't think it's still Ilya Dragunov. It could be. It could be. Um, apparently that's... No, yeah, apparently it is Ilya Dragunov. Well, there you go. Interesting. There Interesting. Ilya, so, Wash Baron versus Ilya Dragunov is my pick for that, but that is very unimportant compared to some of the bigger matches on this show. <laughs> yes, um, we've just focused in on the uh, the one match we had no idea about. And might well be a dark match anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah, the top two matches here are kind of like qualifying matches almost for oh, like the oh, unified I've, unified I've a, title. I've got match. a big update to to come in with. Ilya Dragunov actually lost the belt in a freeway hardcore match, um, in also involving Franz Engel to Rick Baxter with two X's. Yes. So he is the current the porn, porn, champion. porn guy, king of porn style, Rick Baxter. There we go. Sorry, uh, sorry for interrupting okay. you there with that that hot uh, news from september that's okay um so basically the top two matches on the show will determine who goes to hamburg for the unified unified title match <laughs> the unification match of the unified title uh this since is... they had the interim champion yeah this not to be confused with the unification match they had between the west side extreme wrestling championship and the east side extreme wrestling championship um this is just a unification between the interim championship and the Non-interim championship. 
Exactly. So yeah, Absolute Andy versus Bobby Guns is for the non-interim championship, and Ilya Dragunov versus PCO is for the interim championship, and it will no longer be interim n- next week in Hamburg um, when they do that show. So, you know, sort of the, the three biggest stars in WXW right now who are supposed to be in that freeway at Tag League, plus PCO, who's, since they announced that match a fair few months ago, he's kind of lost some of his star power, it's fair to say. Um, but I think going up against Dragunov, he might refine some of that craziness um, and bring it in Dresden. He'll work hard, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's... You know, I'm I'm grumpy, so I've never quite been as into PCO as everyone else was. Yeah. Um, but you know, he he always brings the effort, and that you can never deny of him. So there'll there'll be stuff to enjoy, even if the overall package might not 100% deliver. Um, and it could it could be it could be good. It could be good. We'll see. Um, Lawrence Roman is the washbound. Sure. I I just needed to clear that up with myself for my own sanity more than anything. There we go. Um, but in general, I feel like this show is obviously their first big show since Tag League, and obviously a lot has come out about their relationship with WWE now. And you know, we're sitting on new ground of WXW. There's no more Shotgun. Um, although their Road Two shows are kind of basically just bigger shotgun <laughs> it's they even have like the same intro and like the same sort of structure just with maybe more matches than segments um so shotgun the shotgun spirit is still alive on those shows even if shotgun itself uh is no longer with us um but yeah it's it's certainly it feels like a new promotion um it's a like tag league was the end of a chapter this is the beginning of a new one in maybe a much bigger way than we've seen before after their big uh festival weekends Mm. Um, Volta versus Thatcher is a real gem to pick out from this this uh, yeah set of matches. They uh, had and a... they've, they've built it up properly as well with the two of them having a little lovers tiff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that was a match that got an incredible amount of hype when Progress did it earlier this year. Um, a very good match. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what else they bring here because. You know, as you say, they've they've got more of a storyline um, to it now as well, so it, it it should be very good. Should be very good. Do you have any um any predictions for Avalanche's mystery partner? Ooh, <laughs> I'm not too sure. I think they're gonna probably run through a couple of comedy partners or um you know lesser partners before they reveal who the big one is. I think this will be his storyline for the next few months. Maybe it's a way back in for Dragon. Um because we know that Dirty Dragon won't be involved in any WXW shows coming up, but they may just be dragonolving him slash Kubricking him and like making him live the gimmick before he gets to come back. <laughs> um, it's it's very strange stuff what's going on there because obviously you know Dragon was so popular and you know becoming sort of a, a a mascot icon for WXW, so it does kind of almost feel weird to have their big return show be without him <laughs> like his absence is sort of noticeable um but yeah it's good that avalanche is back and the crown is certainly a gimmick that they're gonna be pushing for going into 2019 with james and simmons because obviously they were supposed to be together this year before simmons had his injury so it's sort of a, de- a delayed start to their program but i think they're gonna be 
very strongly pushed and aren't going to be losing for a while. They've got a hell of an aura as a team. Oh yeah, definitely. They they feel dangerous. <laughs> Certainly they sacrificed the dragon to get over these guys. <laughs> Quite literally in some ways. Pretty much, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think this looks like a, a pretty fun show. Um, I... Anything else you want to pick out before we uh, we move on to to other things? No, we we can move on to other things. Okie dokie. Well, first, Arn is doing a run in. Um, he <laughs> wants to say that. Um, what does he say? He says the she one was very good. So there we go. Um, I will we be discussing the she one on this show? Because uh, I think they have a free trial. On, on their VOD gimmick, so potentially we could check that out. Potentially, but by the time we do our next episode, it might be ancient history, so... It might, yeah. Uh, uh, who That's knows? That's a TBA. But, uh, <laughs> he said it was very good, and he was there live, so he should know. Um, yeah, everyone who was there live, I think, definitely enjoyed it. There's obviously sort of, um, you know, a gap that you have to leap across before you can properly get into EVE, because they are, you know, such a niche product. Um, not just because it's women's wrestling. I mean, that's not particularly niche anymore because WWE's main feud right now is uh, between the women. So I, I, I'm not saying it in that way. I'm more saying it in the whole way they dress up the room, the way the room feels like a tiny locker, <laughs> the whole badass bitches thing. It's it's not for everyone. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have liked to have gone, but I was... I had prior commitments in um, Norwich in the night territory later that uh, <laughs> later that day but uh, in- interesting deals going on between he's gotta 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 keep making those deals I was of course down the waterfront having a having a hell of a time um, <laughs> I throw myself off there um, so uh, with with Two people who can't really talk about She One, that's all we'll we'll be saying, given neither of us have actually seen it. Um You wanted to talk a little about uh, A Kid versus Zack Sabre Jr. because you like copying the flagship. <laughs> Absolutely. Um well this is the match that um the the pro wrestling influencers have deemed us necessary to watch it. Um because obviously this match happened I think in April or May and came out on VOD in August. But only now gets the traction because JL, Joe Lanza, and Dave, Big Dave, Dave Meltzer, um, <laughs> gave it I bl- I pretty much you... ten stars between them. Yeah, well, slightly less. <laughs> Negligibly up. less. Um, but yeah, I mean, White Wolf has almost forced into the headlines whether we wanted them to or not. Like they were, this they were gonna make themselves this year, and they, like it has been a real DIY effort <laughs> from Carlos Romo and A Kid. Um, thinking back to about this time last year when Romo came to the UK in the snowstorm and turned up to Progress Sheffield, got a match there because of his diligence, which was awesome, and he got over there as well. Um, we saw them on the pre-show at WXW London. You know they've been taking opportunities wherever they've got them turning up an attack and becoming the tag champs and regulars there. You know, it's been a real effort and hard work year for these two guys who want to put Spanish wrestling on the big stage. And I felt like this match was kind of that story 
boil down into an athletic competition because Zack sort of represented, you know, the mainstream of wrestling, of European wrestling, and A-Kid was, like, fighting for his life and fighting to prove that Spanish wrestling belonged on that stage as well, and that that came across in the ring and with the fans, you know, they look like a sea in, in that crowd. There's so many of them, and, like, it's like it's all, like an all-standing area, so it just looks like they're just surrounding the ring completely, very much like in the Turbine and Harla. Um, and it was just a crazy atmosphere fueled by Spanish pride, and they wanted to see their man win. He had to go the absolute toughest way possible to get there by going hold for hold and strike for strike with Saber, um, who had apparently lost his gear because he was wearing the shorts. <laughs> but I actually kind of liked it because it kind of looked a bit grungy and underground and heelish almost. Um, you knew that everyone there wanted to see A Kid win. And you know, beat the establishment, and he did it. And it felt like a re- really, really passionate match that I think everyone should go see just to check out the top tier of what White Wolf has to offer. I have actually seen that whole show now as well, um, the Total Rumble 8 show on WXW now. It's not a particularly good show because <laughs> below Romo and A-Kid, the talent drops off significantly, and it's pretty much just guys doing it for fun on the weekend, like literally just for fun. Yeah, it's... Um, Going in, you have to know that it is, depending on how you classify backyarding, it's literally backyarding. Like Pretty the, much, yeah. The, they aren't pay, paying for tickets. The, the crowd is um, looks like an amazing atmosphere, yeah. but it's it's come along and watch some, what we're doing in our free time. No one's paying to go in unless that's changed yeah. briefly and like, recently and I haven't noticed. I think they're probably trying to establish, like, a, you know, paid attendance in the future, yeah. but right now, with the shows for quality that they are, it's still free, but Romo and A-Kid are spearheading that charge, yeah. and it's amazing to see what they're doing. As essentially self-taught guys as well, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, they, they basically come from the school of watching Will Ospreay videos, <laughs> copying him. And, and, it, and they're very good at it. And they're incredible, yeah. Like, they are, you know... a two guys who have grown up on this generation of indies, which is very exciting to see, you know, Osprey's style coming and his ilk coming through and getting remixed into a new style by a new era, <laughs> you know, that they're spearheading not only Spanish wrestling, but a new style, and it's really cool to see. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. It is always cool to see new scenes literally be born. Like, um, we've seen first-hand revival of the British wrestling scene, but this is something even more impressive than that. It's We had a scene that used to be a big deal, yeah. almost died completely, was just about crawling along and now is, you know, standing back up again and doing and is a healthy, healthy scene. Um, that metaphor kind of died midway through, but you know what I mean. Uh, whereas this, like, there was no wrestling in Spain five years ago. Um, and, you know, it's... I, I said it was a back, it's backyarding. Um, I don't necessarily mean that as like a criticism. I mean it as like an explanation of where yeah. they're currently at, uh, and it's impressive that they're they're there now, and they have the the potential to go where you know they're probably going to end up because it, you wouldn't be shocked to see um, White Wolf Wrestling being. Three years from now, being the same place OTT is now, would you? You wouldn't be shocked to see that happening. Yeah, it's 
it's certainly got that same kind of vibe and like if they can get new talents coming through at the same level or even like a little below but still with that same vibe the the professional vibe of Romo and A-Kid you know guys doing it trying to do it for a living then yeah they can definitely make that kind of thing happen that OTT has made happen this year and they they seem to have a good a good grasp on the right kind of guys to bring in they they brought in Ricochet now they brought in Sabre I believe yeah it's not Ball Dempsey's or did they bring in Osprey at some point? I feel like they have, but I can't remember if they have. Yeah, I can't for sure. Their two most famous matches are the Ricochet yeah. one and this one now. The scene, you know, seems to be in the hands of people who know what they're doing. Or yeah, at least... who love modern indie wrestling. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not trying to, um, you know, as you say, bring in Bull Dempsey or Bob Holly or someone. They're, they, uh, they're trying to bring in current wrestling and what's currently worked on the UK indies and worked on the Irish indies and kind of worked on the German indies where that's you know slightly different they've got more of a slightly more story based but you know similar sort of deal um you know they they've got their finger on the pulse definitely um and it's 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 yet another place to to keep an eye on um but that's it's always cool to see do we have anything else we want to talk about or are we i think i'm a, i'm taked out rob you're all out i've i've uh, tapped you dry that sounds very dodgy um yeah well <laughs> we'll leave that in yeah yeah that that's a good way to end the podcast um yeah you can't really that go image. up from there um we do need to get better at doing these more consistently um, but you know what, we're, we're busy. I, you're busy, like, not going to wrestling shows to allow you to eventually go to a wrestling show. Corrick and Hall tickets are more expensive than you might think. Uh, uh, fair, fair. You're, you're paying upwards of £35 just to get on the bleachers. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> you're real committed to Fight Club Pro, what can I say? Um, uh, all, I'm going to one All Japan one and one DDT in Corican and then the Dome. That's my current schedule. Maybe it can be bargained up a bit more, but I'm very happy that it looks like I'm going to be seeing a, a violent giant's defense um, in the All Japan show, and it's going to be the King of DDT final in the DDT show. Oh, so delicious. I'm ba- basically guaranteed two fucking hot Corican main events. <laughs> delicious. So yeah, you're you're busy not going to wrestling shows, and I'm yes. I'm busy gallivanting around the UK, not getting jobs at the moment. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you and me both, Rob. You and me both. <laughs> It, it's a it's a fun place to be. It's a fun place to be. Mm. Um, At least we have the podcast. <laughs> yes, we 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 need. Uh, fortunately, we're not getting that sweet sweet patron money uh, at the moment. <laughs> but uh, one of these days, well, we're gonna make you lot pay for these voices. <laughs> well, maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, to do that, maybe that's probably an empty threat. First, have to get a bit more consistent. So we should improve yes. that. We should improve this is, that. That is our motivation. Um, <laughs> But yes, um, hopefully we'll be back either next week or the week after on uh, Tuesday. Thank you for listening, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.